are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Put it down for you. You want to put your stand down? Totally fine. I, I, Aaron fixed it. You were busy. Um, yeah, you can all take a seat. That's cool. Um, I was so impressed. We arrived in Ernie's little house, and I opened his fridge, and the first thing I said is, there is no way that this is a single man's fridge. Like, you clearly went shopping. And I, I, I was so impressed. There was juice boxes and fruit and things that you can actually cook with. And to his own admission, he'd went out and did a family shop. So I was, I'm well impressed, Ernie. This is epic. This is, used to be the boy that came to our house with his own personal size snacks. And now he's providing food for our family. It's epic. Um, do you know what? I've kind of realized that whenever... I, I don't really get to do this with Aaron a lot, where we actually are on the road together and doing ministry together, which is kind of cool. And I've realized that he gets the easy part in that he leads worship and comes with subtitles. Um, obviously the words are on the screen so you can understand clearly what he's saying. Me on the other hand, I do not come with subtitles and I realize that my accent is a little bit full on. This is me talking slow and uh, when I get excited, this can go way off. So here's the thing, I just need you to smile at me, okay? The good thing is I promise I'm preaching the Bible. So even if you think it sounds heretical, just keep smiling, I promise. But it's scripture-based, so if you have a Bible, you, you might want to have it for subtitle reasons. Um, but this is going to be good. Just keep smiling. It's all good. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to talk this morning about something that is close to kind of the heart of Blue Tree. Um, it's what Aaron's newest album is called. It's not a plug. Um, but it's this whole idea of worship and justice. And I guess it's this journey that we have found ourselves on as a family where worship is obviously this huge part of who we are. Not me, I can't sing. Is that annoying that Aaron sings so good with the cold? Like seriously, some people have all the talent. Um, if I was to minister in song, this building would be empty and I might do that if we need to clear the building early. Um, it could be the greatest fire drill ever if I start to sing. So yeah, we've realized that worship is more than singing. Exhibit A. Um, and then, of course, there's this other element of justice where, like, pre-having children, I would have traveled an awful lot and did mission trips with churches and organizations like Tear Fund. And Aaron has found himself in similar scenarios. And I guess we've kind of seen parts of the world where actually God's just really needed. And we've realized that these two things go hand in hand. And I'm hopefully going to explain where um, our heart in that is this morning and give you a little taster of that. But I find whenever I love the Bible, I just love reading the Bible. I love talking about the Bible and I love being around other people who love and read the Bible and can almost help me go even deeper in my journey. And I guess that I've discovered in my years of reading the Bible that actually the hardest parts aren't so much the parts where people argue over theology or, or the wording or, or whatever. The hardest parts for me have, have been the parts that are really, really easy, like that are black and white. There's no mistranslation. There's no funny dialect. There's no other way to interpret it because it's literally Jesus saying something 
black and white. Um, and this morning, I want to take you to some parts of that in the Bible. Um, and they can make us feel really uncomfortable because it's like, we have to do this. But yet sometimes they're the hardest parts to do um, is the easy part. So this is what, um, this is really simple this morning. Um, if you want to turn to Matthew 22, I know it's going to be on the screen. But this is what's known as the greatest commandment. So this was the thing that was given to us, given to the disciples, given to the followers of Jesus. And this is what it says. It says, a teacher, teacher. so a man's coming and asking this question, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And we rattle this off, don't we? Like, I, this is one of the, the memory verses I learned as a kid. Two song, I'll not sing it, but kind of like, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And Right, okay, anyone else learn that like that? Yes, come on. So we know, um, I, I can rattle this off, like just off my tongue. It's dead easy. The words are dead easy. But when you think about it, um, it's honestly quite difficult. Both of those commandments are quite difficult. To love God with all, okay, all complete devotion. And then to love um, your neighbor as you love yourself, okay? And that looks like something because if we live, first of all, if we live for God in an all sort of way, do you know what? Everyone around you should be able to see it. Um, everyone around me should be able to see it when I live for God in an all sort of way with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. And I basically want to just take this first element of lo loving God um, and look at this whole idea of what worship is, because that in theory is what loving God looks like. It's worship. Um, and it's a complete devotion to God. So I want to take you to an account in Matthew 26, where a woman comes in in full display of everyone there. She just worships God, worships Jesus, sorry, in this really extravagant way. Um, and it's when she anoints him. So this is the, the scene at Bethany. And it starts at verse 6 in Matthew 26. It says, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she's done will be told in memory of her. And this is kind of a fulfilling of that prophecy, even, even just as I'm talking about it today, that lots of people have preached and taught from this passage and remembered and spoke of this woman because what she did was something incredible. And um, in the Gospel of John, there's a couple of accounts of this, um, but in the Gospel of John, he names this woman as Mary, um, who was the sister of Lazarus. So you've got Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Um, and I kind of, we're going to go on a little bit of, of a journey with her because it gets to this point of like why she's doing this, all right, of like what, who is she actually worshiping? And before you go, duh, Jill, it's clearly Jesus. Have you read the passage? I wanna, want you to just think for a little second, take this from a different angle, because in this scenario, she has this clear devotion to Jesus right there and then. And all you need to do is look at her story and other places in the Gospels 
to realize where, where she's been and how she's got to this place because she's had an experience and an encounter with Jesus that was incredible. Um, and we know that when Jesus was in Bethany, when Jesus was hanging around there with his disciples, he would quite often go and hang out in the, in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were close friends. Um, we know that story where they're in town and Martha's having a go um, because she's trying to be the perfect host and have all the dinner done and, and basically like, Jesus is in time, we've got to do something epic and Mary is nowhere to be seen. Well, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, so Martha's cracking up. Well, any women know what that's like whenever you need people to do things and they're just sitting there. Um, I had that, I was like that this morning trying to get my three kids out of the house. Like, talk about holy moments before you preach and I'm like screaming at them, get your shoes on! Right. So, where are your shoes? They were on your feet a minute ago, right? But like, it's, it's frustrating. When you need somebody to help you and they're just sitting there, that is so frustrating. And Martha is so frustrated. But in that story, Jesus says, Martha, you worry about so much. You know, I'm here and Mary has chosen the good portion where she's decided to just sit at my feet and be with me in my presence. And so Mary was someone who was so prepared to let everything drop to just be in the presence of Jesus. So that's what we know about her. And then the next time we read about her, something bad has happened because Lazarus has got sick and they send a word to Jesus. Okay, this is their friend who they know, um, who they have a relationship with and they know what he is. They, he's a miracle worker. So why would you not send for Jesus? Oh, you may phone Jesus. Well, not that he had a phone, but phone him. Tell him to get down here. Lazarus is sick. And when he hears word of that, he doesn't come immediately. Um, and Lazarus dies. And if you can imagine being Mary in that moment, you know, hello, we've entertained you in our home and you didn't come straight away. Like, look what has happened. Hello. Um, and you can just almost feel her frustration. Um, and she doesn't even run to Jesus this time. It's Martha who runs first. And then Mary is kind of there, and it says Jesus weeps when he sees her. And I, I just imagine Jesus in that moment feels all the disappointment with him, um, the frustration, the buildup, but he knows what's about to happen. <clears throat> and the incredible thing is that we know the end of that story is Jesus just calls Lazarus' name, and out he comes. He's walking. He's alive. So Mary has this incredible, like, I don't even know if it lasted an hour, but this period of minutes where she has every emotion, Aaron says that, that I'm like that, right? And have it, can have any given emotion at any moment. But she has this anger, sadness, frustration, disappointment, joy. Oh my goodness, this is incredible. This is amazing. All in the space of like probably minutes if, we're, if we really think about it. Um, and so she has this incredible journey and experience of Jesus. Um, and she's had a real encounter that literally changed her world. So she's not just worshiping an idea, okay? She's worshiping this person who has literally transformed her world in that moment. Um, and she's so incredibly thankful um, because he had done a great thing. And the reality is she's now serving at a table where his disciples, are there. Um, Jesus is there. He's, he's at the home of Simon and she's there and Lazarus is there. So like the very thing, the reason to worship is sitting, having dinner at the dinner table with Jesus. Okay. Like this is like, talk about a total 180 in circumstances. And I guess the whole thing for me that triggers this response of like, well, who is it that I worship? Yeah, we know it's Jesus, but there's something about us remembering 
our encounter and our experience with him because he really has changed our lives. It's not just a person or an idea um, that's just far off. This is a person who has come close and who's literally transformed our lives. So I'm kind of going like, what has he done for you? Let's never forget that. Let's never forget the people who we would be without him. I think that's the scary thing, isn't it? I know exactly who I would be without Jesus. So in this story, let's go a wee bit further. It says that she breaks an alabaster flask, and inside that flask is this um, expensive ointment called nard, okay? And it's like, this is the stuff that you would put on the top shelf. Even the very container that it's in is really, really precious. So this is the stuff that's put away for really special occasions. Do you ever have my home? In my home, my mum and dad had the good dinner set. Does anyone have the good dinner set where you know when the posh people are coming? Um, that's the dinner set that's out. And you're like, ooh, we're in for a feast, right? Um, well, my, no one was ever allowed to touch that. And it, it came out maybe once a month, if even. But um, I knew that someone really amazing is coming for dinner when this appeared on our, our dining room table. Um, but this is kind of the same idea that it's, it's a way, it's for something incredibly um, important and, and a really, it's saved for something special, basically. Um, and so this moment, she decides that this is the moment we're breaking this and we're anointing Jesus. So there's no expense spared. Like this is incredibly expensive, they reckon, um, that it's about a year's wages. So in this one moment, um, a year's wages is just devoted to this moment. Um, I don't know about you, if you've ever broken a bottle of perfume or a bottle of aftershave, um, it's it's kind of annoying to try and get rid <laughs> of the smell. Um, we had an incident um, probably in the last month where I was at YC with the boys and uh, they were doing their thing and I was teaching a few seminars. And on the first evening, I was standing like behind the stage and I was just like, what is that? What is that smell? Like, there, there's an incredible smell right now. And I'm like walking around, like looking for the, the source of this smell and it led me to Michael Tate from the Newsboys, right? Which is kind of weird then when you're standing beside him. And Aaron introduced me and he hugged me. And it was like, it was like a, a sweet aroma. Like it's honestly phenomenal, right? This, this aftershave that he wears. And then what I discovered was later on, we were standing outside and someone's going, I can still smell him. And I was going, it's me. You know, it's like he's like rubbed off on this entire side. Like it's me that smells amazing now. And like when he came into a room, everybody knew. Isn't that right? To the point that I went, Aaron, you need to get this aftershave because this is like phenomenal. Um, and he's like, okay. So no, it's quite expensive. And I allowed it, the transaction to happen because it's honestly phenomenal. Um, and it took a while for me to disassociate it with Michael Tate. <laughs> Okay, so I had to keep my eyes open for a long time to remind myself this is Aaron that we're engaging with and not Michael Tate from the Newsboys. Um, but Aaron thought he'd reached the pinnacle of success when someone emailed him to ask him what aftershave he was wearing. I'm like, yes, right? So um, you can sniff him later. Ladies, I give you permission. It's phenomenal. I hope he's wearing it. Um, but now it's just, it's not, it's not as special now because I can just smell it all the time. But you know whenever there's something that, oh, no, it is special. I'll, I'll sniff your face later. But, um, <laughs> but yes, score. <laughs> but the thing is, whenever we smell something as strong um, in a room, like that genuinely turns my head every time. And I want you to think of this, this scenario, like this is quite a strong smell and ointment. And whenever this woman was kind of down and, and doing this and like anointing Jesus' feet, like no one in the room missed it because 
it's so overpowering of what was happening. So her worship, whilst it's intimate, while it's close, while it's an all-out-there devotion for her, it totally affects everyone else in the room. It totally changes the atmosphere. It totally changes the culture. And that's, that's what happens when we worship God, when we love God, and when we're totally devoted to him. Everything around us changes. And she wasn't concerned with the people in the room. She was completely devoted to her Jesus, who totally transformed her world. Um, and I don't know about you, but whenever you're in love, you kind of do things that are a little bit crazy, okay? Because what she was doing was totally insane. But when you love someone, you do crazy things. Like, I am totally an indoor girl, okay? Give me a book, give me a cup of coffee, and leave me on my own, and that is me in heaven, okay? I might as well have married Bear Grylls, okay? So talk about opposites. Like, I am not the, an adventurous, outdoorsy type. Um, you can ask Ryan and Leanne. We went to their house last night, and I literally wrapped myself in a cocoon so the mosquitoes couldn't get me. Like, I hate the outdoors. I'm not, I'm not lying. But I um, do crazy things at times. So I have found myself, because I love this man called Aaron Boyd, I have genuinely found myself on cliff faces, camping, um, doing insane things, paintballing. Like, that stuff hurts, right? And I, I've done it, right, just because I simply love him and want to be around him. And there's times I've genuinely been hanging on for, for sheer death, right, gripped at the side of a, a mountain going, what am I actually doing? Like, I hate this stuff. Like, I just want to be downstairs with a cup of coffee. That, that's it. That's what I want to be. But I'm in love, and Aaron loves this, and I love Aaron, so let's do mental things. And later, um, <laughs> like, yeah, we do things when we're, when we're crazy in love. And, you know, today, this afternoon, Jill Boyd is going out, apparently, with a jetpack water thing. I don't even know how that's going to turn out. So this could be my last sermon I ever preach. Um, <laughs> you record this, just in case. But um, I do crazy things just simply because I love Aaron. And that's the whole, the whole thing. Whenever you're in love and devoted to someone, they take up time, they take up energy, they take up space in your mind. And that's totally should be. That's the way we should be when it comes to God. We should be prepared to be a little bit crazy and just to live these adventurous mental lives for Jesus. It's incredible. Um, I want to take fast forward to another scenario where it's the same kind of thing is happening, but it's Jesus being anointed again, but it's someone completely different. And in my Bible, I'm not going to read it all, but in my Bible, the title that it's given is A Sinful Woman Forgiven, okay? So it's, and in my other Bible, it says, A Sinful Woman Anoints Jesus. And I go, talk about labels that people give you. Imagine if that's what you're known for, like in eternity, people, oh, you're a sinful woman. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for reminding me of that, <laughs> right? And I think I would hate that to be the label that's attached to me, but this is what her name is, The Sinful Woman. And it talks about a scenario where, um, Jesus is again having a meal. He's reclined at the table, and it says a woman, a sinful woman from the city comes, and she anoints him, not only with this anointment, but with her tears. And um, so he's kind of sitting around a table. At that time, they would kind of recline at the table, so kind of elbows on the table with their feet kind of out, out the back. And she comes from the outer courts, and she anoints his feet. So the difference with this is she's not even invited to the meal, okay? So she shouldn't even be here. She doesn't have an invitation, um, and she has her hair down. And immediately that gives off a, a signal to all the men in that room because to have, see a woman with her hair unbound was basically saying that she's this 
type of lady, okay? I'm not going to say too much. You know, there's children sometimes in here. But um, she's a certain type of woman, okay? And they're all, they have her totally judged in that moment just from her appearance and from what she's doing. So there, all the men at the table are extremely uncomfortable and can't get over what's happening, let alone the fact that Jesus is actually allowing this to happen. Um, and it, it creates this convo at the table. And Jesus tells this parable. It says, a certain moneylender has two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you give me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You give me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus doesn't call her a sinful woman. Jesus calls her forgiven because he knows that actually the price that he's about to pay completely is about to transform her life. So only he knows that at the table. Everyone else is judging. Everyone else is pointing fingers. Um, and Jesus makes this incredible um, truth. And it's going to be on the next slide. I forget what it says because I've deleted it by accident. Possibly, maybe. Next slide. He makes this correlation with how we worship and the value of our worship and expression of love is proportional to how much we know we've been forgiven. Okay, and that's the link. So he says, if she's loving me a whole lot here because she knows how much she's been forgiven. So the story is totally similar. There's a woman, there's a perfume, there's Jesus, but it's a completely different event. Um, and I love that Jesus just completely changes this entire destiny of this woman in this moment. And I think there's this massive lesson, okay, because Jesus isn't dining with... Um, with sinners at this moment, which he did quite regularly. He's dining with the Pharisees. He's dining with the church, okay? He's having dinner with good guys. They, like, as much as he gives them a hard time, I think we always need to remember the Pharisees were people who were in search of God. Like, they were searching scripture. They were constantly, like, a temple. They were engaging in worship. They were engaging in holy things. So these men were not bad men. They were desperately seeking God and seeking the things of heaven. And there's this incredible like thing that's happening here where they're sitting at the table with Jesus, the son of God, and completely miss it. They miss the kingdom moment. They're, they're searching for heaven. They're searching for holy things. And they miss the person that's sitting right in front of them. And the person who understands who he is, is this sinful woman. Okay. And I kind of think, how, how do you get to that place? How do you get to this space where you're searching for the things of God, you're really going for it, you're, you're searching scripture, and you miss it. And I, that is the biggest fear in my life, is that I miss it. Like, I'm in the room, but I totally miss the moment. And I think that we've got to be really careful as the church that we don't miss the moments, that we don't miss those moments with Jesus because we're so busy. We have our noses and, and brains engaged in other things, not bad things. They're still holy things, but we totally miss Jesus. And I think, do you know when I think that happens? 
Because if you think the Pharisees and the thing that they always got um, kind of scolded for was that they were fault-finding, that they were people who were always looking for the nitty-gritty, that they were people who were fault-finding in others, and that they were constantly slapping your wrists if you step one foot outside of the law, that they had added all this extra law on top um, of what the Torah was. Like, they just made it impossible. And I think when we're concerned with what everyone else is doing, when we think we're holding the holy things, we're looking at everyone else, we're fault-finding, we're pointing fingers, we're being critical. That's when we miss Jesus. We think we're doing a holy thing, but actually we miss Jesus when we're concerned with what everyone else in the room is doing. And I think there's something beautiful that those men are around the room trying to get it, and this woman doesn't care what anyone thinks. Like She's just burst through the door, falls down at Jesus' feet, and is crying, knows, knows exactly who she is. She doesn't need those men telling her. She knows who she is, um, but yet she knows that she's in desperate need of a savior. And, and I, I just think that's incredible. And I think that I want to be someone who's so aware of Jesus at the table and not, and not missing it. Um, and the whole thing is that's kind of who we worship. We worship the person we've had an encounter with. We worship extravagantly, like no one else matters in this room. And then when we look to why we worship, um, we really shouldn't have to answer that because actually when we have this incredible knowledge of what Jesus has done for us, um, that's the answer to that question. And, and it's exactly what we've just said. Like, how do we worship and how we love is equal to how much we've been forgiven. And it's about being mindful of the cross every single time. Like Aram is saying, like, during my Redeemer lives and Christ is risen. Like, that's cool things to say at Easter Sunday. But that's the reason we're here every single day, every single minute. And it's something that we need to keep at the forefront of our minds when we worship. And I don't know about you, when I come to church, I have a million and one distractions going on. Okay, like, it takes a lot for me to get my mind focused. Um, and that's why I think worshiping with music is so important because actually it's, it's kind of forcing me to go this direction. Corporate worship is incredible because it's people are reminding me, Jill, this is the song we're singing, okay? Stop thinking about your straighteners that you may have left on. Don't worry, I didn't leave them on, Ernie. Don't worry, Olivia, your house is not burnt down. I didn't even use them this morning. But like I have the ability to be standing in the presence of God with my hands held high. And then I'll be like, oh, I should have really had a bigger breakfast. I'm really hungry. I wonder what we're having for lunch. Will I really die doing this water jet thing? I wonder if Heidi stopped crying in church. And I have this, uh, this ability to be in a room in the presence of Jesus, encountering something incredible, but my mind is elsewhere. And I think that this is one of the most important things when it comes to worship is like, what are we thinking about? Because we need to be so mindful of the cross because it completely changed everything. Like because of the cross, like this thing here that we just can look at and glance at and go, isn't that a great decoration at church? That changed our eternal destiny forever. And the most incredible thing with the cross is that it had nothing to do with us. Like genuinely, aside from our sin holding him there, we do nothing else, okay? We literally just accept the righteousness, the holiness. We exchange places with Jesus at the foot of the cross. He takes on all of us and he gives us all of him. And we don't do anything but receive it as a massive gift. Like, and that's just faith. By faith, we accept the grace that he so graciously offers us. And we get to experience this fullness, this life as God knows it. You know, I promised that he would come, the shepherd would come, steal, kill, destroy. I've come to give you life and life in all its fullness, life in all of its abundance. 
happens, you will get to experience kingdom and heaven and holiness and perfection and righteous, not because you're right, but because I'm right and I'm, I now live in you. And that's the most incredible thing of the cross, that there's no more trying to keep the rules. There's no more striving to be better. There's no more striving to be holy. We are holy because he's holy and he lives in us. And that's something that's, that's massively incredible. Um, and you know what? That has to change our position. It changes our position in heaven, absolutely. But it has to change our position here on earth. It has to change the people that we are. The people who are around us should genuinely be able to notice a difference that we're Christians, okay? Um, we, we sometimes joke, um, you know, we have, have a few people around us that would say, you know, I'm really, really happy. And you're like, really? You want to tell your face that, right? Because um, like they'll say, I'm having the best time of my life. And you're like, you really need to tell your face to catch up with the emotion that's going on here. But um, in seeing terms of our walk with Jesus, we shouldn't have to have to like wear a sign around your neck going, I'm a Christian, right? I love Jesus. I'm a follower of him, his. We shouldn't need anything like that because our lives should display kingdom. Our lives should literally be a replica of heaven and heaven's principles. And that's the challenge in my life. Um, so that's the first part of that. And don't worry, the second part's like minute. So before you panic, I joked and said, bring a sleeping bag, people. We're here for three hours, but we're not really. Um, really. <laughs> I know I'm Irish, and Irish love to tell stories and talk, but I promise we're nearly done. Um, so the, the first part of that was like, the worship part is to love God. But the second part of that greatest command was, yeah, love the Lord your God with all, but then love people, love your neighbor as yourself. And someone once said that love is spelled T-I-M-E. And before you go, Jill, that's not how you spell love, you blonde girl. Um, love is spelled time. Um, we, we hear that all the time with it when in parenting, you know, if you love your kids, you hang out with them, you spend time with them. Um, and who you spend time with is really, really important. Um, because the person who you spend the most time on should be the person that's number one in your life. And I'm always challenged by that. It's like, how much time am I really setting aside for God? You know, because I'll make appointments all day long with like, I'll meet this girl for coffee and this mom over here and we'll go for a date with Aaron and we'll do stuff with the girls. And I'll never, ever cancel on people. Like I, I genuinely am the person that feels horrible if I have to cancel or if I've double booked because um, I hate canceling appointments. But yet I know in my life, the first appointment to go sometimes is the God appointment is the one where it's just me and him it's like oh I'm too tired this morning or oh the kids have got to get up too early or there'll be something that gives and I'm really challenged that the God gets the best use of my time um and it, there's this Greek proverb that literally says show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are and you instantly become like the people you you hang around with I know Arnie's joking saying his accent has come back but all that is is a couple of days of Boydo and I being here reminding him of his true roots. Um, but like I've even noticed like our girls have started to develop little Canadian mannerisms. It's epic. Like they're say, they're starting to say A, like at the end of everything is epic. Um, they now have, are replacing words that we don't normally use in Ireland. So Josie just asked me where the garbage was and I'm like, what? We don't even call it that. It's rubbish. Say rubbish. <laughs> it's not garbage. I was laughing with Cindy because we have this annoying thing where it's like, do you know where the toilet, can you show me where the toilet is? We, we just say toilet for everything. And I can see people looking at me like, you mean the restroom where the toilet is? I mean, well, yeah, the toilet, where is it? So like, we, you instantly become like the people you're with. And we just had a week at a kid's camp, a teen camp, and they started to talk a little bit like us. I was very proud of that moment. But um, 
it's so true that you, you do become like the people you hang around. You even start to talk like them. Some of you might even dress like each other. I know when um, I was a teenager growing up, my friend and I would have similar tastes in clothes and we would buy similar clothes. And there was one Sunday we both turned up to like youth church and we were wearing identical clothing. Like it was totally unplanned. I was like, this, this has to stop. This genuinely has to stop. So we, we then just to phone each other, what are you wearing today? Um, because you just become like the people you hang out with. And I guess you know what's coming. If we want to be more godly, if we want to carry kingdom, if we want to express the love of God to our neighbors, then actually that'll happen when we hang out with him. When we spend time with him, actually his agenda becomes our agenda. His heartbeat becomes our our heartbeat, his thoughts become our thoughts, and that's us choosing to spend time with him. You will instantly become a better person for it. I know I'm a better person having spent time in the presence of God. I become less irritable, right or wrong, aren't? I become more funny, I know. I become less worried. I become so excited for the day ahead when I literally spend time in the presence of God. Um, and the thing that I've learned is this, it's impossible to spend time in his presence and not be changed. It's impossible to not spend time with him and not develop his heart. And God is a God of love. And I've realized that actually the more I get to know him and the more I engage in a relationship with him, then actually I have to have a heart for people because God loves people. He loved me and he loves the people around me. Um, and it's not just, it doesn't say love just the people you like. The Bible's really, really hard. This is the hard bit. It says love your enemies. Ooh, right? Love the people who really irritate you. Love the people who you want to just punch in the face constantly because they're frustrating, okay? That's the people God loves. You might not like them at times, but God loves them and really loves them just as much as he loves you. And he loves your world and the people you're around. And it's impossible to love God and to, to hate everyone. It's, I think that just does, it doesn't go. It just does not happen. You love God and you love everyone around you. And it says this in, in John 1 verse 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Like, how blunt is that? If you don't love people, then do you know what? You don't know God. Ah! Talk about the easy parts of the Bible that are really hard to do. So what does loving people look like? Because I've realized that a lot of people say love, but they don't do it. They, they say, oh, love you, thinking about you, praying for you, love you. Nothing else. <laughs> It's all words, okay? And there's this phrase, and lots of people are jumping on this at the minute, but there's a few things like love does, love is a verb, love is an action. And we know that love just goes beyond mere words. Love does something, okay? And this is my challenge. This is the justice part of it, that I don't want to be someone who's in a room and sees someone that has an incredible need. There's, there's people in here. If, you, uh, if I ask someone, if you have a need this morning, put your hand up. Okay, and if we got them to say what it was, I guarantee it there'd be someone in this room who could make that. And love isn't going, oh, pray for your brother. Hope that works out. Good one. All right. Or someone's having a genuinely hard time. And I, I don't know how many people, sometimes I get this sympathetic health, head tilt. Oh, like, that does nothing for no one. Okay. I need you to help me. <laughs> right. And sometimes we're so, we're so people that will say we love you. 
but actually we don't show it. And sometimes I think, see, if we don't get it right in our own, first of all, in our families, okay? And it talks, um, I'm trying to think. There was a, a scripture that I read out recently that was something about that you have to love. If you have a brother or sister in need, so if you have a family in need and you don't meet it, where are you? Where's God in that? Um, and sometimes we're, our families get the worst of us, don't they? And I think that the, the thing is we're trying to change the world, but we've got to do it in stages. Our family needs to be the place where we practice this, where we get it wrong, where we have grace for one another. Our church family, it then extends to our church family, that we've got to love one another and to be people that genuinely look out for, encourage, and are in each other's lives, you know, that you don't have to go on Facebook to find out that someone's having a bad day. You know, I think that we're missing this thing in, in culture now where you pick up the phone and check out how's people, how you doing? And then I've realized that a lot in life, that I'll go on Facebook, that I'll see what someone is up for the day, has done for the day. And I will feel that I've engaged with that person because I've read all about their day, but I haven't. I haven't even lifted the phone. I haven't had a conversation. I don't know anything. And we've got to be careful that we don't just miss connections with people, that we genuinely are loving everyone around us because it's just more than this little phrase that we just say. It's easy to say and hard to do. And Romans 12 is the challenge. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them hate what's wrong and hold tightly to what is good. So the, the question is, do you do to others as you would want done to you? Do you love people like, like you love yourself? You see, as much as this is about loving God and being with him, this isn't about, oh, we'll all just get to heaven and we'll all, it'll all be good to get there. We're here on a mission. We're on a, here on a mission to change the world and not just our immediate world, but the actual world, the whole world. It says God loved the whole world that he gave his only son. And I'm always challenged to go, what am I doing for the people in my life? that are, is genuinely expressing love. Because sometimes we think that it has to be all complicated and it has to involve big lights, big sound, big stage. And actually, do you know sometimes all it is, is knowing that there's another mom who's had a baby and who's struggling and you just drop her around dinner. We did that for someone recently and they were blown away. And I'm like, that is the most simple thing ever. Like you just leave a meal at someone's door or someone's sick and you take another child off her. Do you know what? We'll, we'll take your children for a, a little bit. It's being really practical. It's knowing that someone's maybe just got no petrol money. Go and fill their car with petrol. Like, literally, be practical. Like, it's not, it doesn't have to involve this big campaign with 10 points to succeed. It literally is just, like, this should be the most natural thing that we do. As we hang out with God, we literally just express his kingdom over and over. And this is the thing that I just want to finish with. Um, and it's from Isaiah 58, um, and it's this. It says, this is the kind of fasting that I want. Free those who are wrongly in prison. This is our mission. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. That was the thing that I was thinking of. I know you want to run from mothers-in-laws at times. But it says here, take it as God said this, okay? If he said it, it's true. Isn't that right? Um, don't run from your relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will heal quickly. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I'm here. He'll quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. And then your light, church, will shine out from the darkness. And the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry. 
and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. And that's the call to the church. This is our mission, that we're to feed people, that we're to clothe people, that we're to give shelter to people. It's to be a voice, yes, but also to literally help them, to be love. You know, Aaron's, I think, is going to come up now, hopefully. That was your cue. Um, but he read something out recently from Amos, and I think that it's just, it's just this beautiful reminder of what our call is. Um, and our heart is literally that, yeah, we worship God, and that's incredible, but that has to play out in our lives. Like, people really need to know. And I think it's looking for those opportunities, you know, and being creative with that. Like, I, I don't know where you're going today. Like, no one should, I always say, I have this thing, no one should go home from church on a Sunday on their own. So if you know someone's going home on their own, they're coming to your house for dinner, okay? Hands up if you were on your own. This is going to be epic, right? You're going to Ernie's for dinner. Ernie, you're amazing. That fridge stocked up came in handy. But um, we should literally be looking out, caring for people. Let nobody go without. Um, Because if you want to genuinely change your community out there, it has to work in here. Because when they come in here, this can't be a real mean place. Or, oh, they'll just pray for you. No, this has to be action. This has to be love in action. Be the hands and be the feet. And that's the whole purpose of this new song, To the World. You know, it's like, we'll be your hands and we'll be your feet. And Aaron started to sing God of the City after I preached this last week. And do you know what? This light bulb came on in my head. Like, we've been singing that song for years. And it's like, you're the love um, to everyone. You're the joy and the sadness. You're the peace to the restless. And I just had this overwhelming sense come over me going, that's me. I'm the hope to the hopeless. Yeah, that's Jesus. I totally get that. But it's Jesus in me. Like, I, I'm the hope bringer. I bring the hope. I bring the joy. When I walk into a room, the atmosphere should change because kingdoms just walked in. When you walk into a room, the culture and the kingdom around you, you bring it. Amen. So I'm going to hand over to Aaron, and he's going to share that scripture. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.